You're listening to Our Faith, Our Country, the podcast that discusses walking with Christ and ties faith to America's foundation. Here's your host, Jason Bryant Jennings. 1 Peter 2.16 Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. The connection here is the concepts of liberty and free enterprise. On today's episode, I'm talking with Long Drive Grandmaster Champion, the one, the only, Thomas Probin. Thomas, welcome into our faith, our country. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Thomas, why don't you tell us how your introduction to Christ was? Were you raised in a religious household and a little bit about your journey so far? Well, yeah, I was uh, raised in a um, Catholic family, Polish Catholic family, seven children. I have four brothers and two sisters. And we went to church every day for eight years in um, a parochial school for the first eight grades. I had a knowledge of God, and that was my relationship, was all this knowledge in the Baltimore Catechism and knowing that I had original sin, that I thought I could pray my way out of it. It was in 1969, my grandmother, on my dad's side, Anna Proben, we were over there, the whole family. I uh, just sat on her ottoman next to her, and she dropped the seed of faith in me. She made me never to give up Jesus Christ. She said, I won't see it, but the world's going to get crazy in the end. And I want you to promise me never to give up Jesus Christ. And she said, even if they put a bullet to your head, a gun to your head, tell them to pull the trigger. I looked at her and she grabbed me. She she was real serious. And I said, Grandma, I promise you, I will take the bullet. I won't deny Jesus Christ. Three months later, she died. Oh, had a bout with cancer, and basically she was telling herself that she's going to cross the finish line. She wanted to be healed. Listen to uh, you know all the evangelists on the radio and the TV, Billy Graham and Oral Roberts, but it didn't happen. But she was going to accept whatever God gave her, and she crossed the finish line. That was in '69. In '79, I happened to be living in Charleston, South Carolina. God had other plans. I went there for golf. I played golf and was mentored by the 1938 Masters champion, 1939 PGA champion, Henry Picard. He helped a lot of great pros on the tour, among them Ben Hogan, Jack Nicholas, and Sam Snead. But I thought I went there for golf. But in 79, a friend of mine who was also down there called me up and said, I'm getting baptized next Sunday. And, of course, we didn't have cell phones. So I took the phone away from my ear, and I just uh, spoke to my friend and said, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to get baptized. And he said, well, you have to talk to the pastor. So I went to a Catholic mass in the morning with the Picards, Mr. Picard and Sonny Picard. And afterwards, I went to where this church meeting was. I wanted to get baptized. I'm sitting in the back because I got there a little late. And an evangelist was preaching, a guy about six foot eight, 300 pounds. All I can remember, his hand was as big as the open Bible. That guy probably could have picked up a basketball like it was a symbol. But he was preaching. I don't know what the words were, but he was reading the scriptures. And all of a sudden, I could feel the words that came to me were Psalm 51, 7, part B. I know the whole scripture says, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean, but wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And I knew that I was being washed and my sins were washed away, the original sin, and all my sins from birth to death were washed away and I was whiter than snow. And I was crying so hard. And I felt so good, so clean. So I got baptized that day in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Charleston, South Carolina. So that's why Charleston is a pretty special place. I got to play with a full-on round of golf with Mr. Picard. 
And that's oh. how it happened for me. And now, Thomas, let me go back there. What age were you when your grandmother passed? 17. 17. Okay. What were some of the lessons that, really life lessons that you learned from seeing her go through that battle? The biggest thing is her understanding, her private understanding of God. I mean, her seriousness about it. Because I know when you went to church with her, you didn't play on the pew. She would turn around and look at you and you would just straighten up real quick. She planted the seed and just from the way she disciplined her life, I knew she went to church every day and she prayed for the family, grandchildren, her children. And that's the legacy I think that we can uh, pass on to the future is to pray for our family, that no one be left behind. I think that was their prayer. My, I can believe that. My great-grandparents prayed. They prayed it forward. No one left behind. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I went over recently was a men's only group, and we did a whole study on family and the importance of family and family structure. What are some of the things that you think need to happen in today's society within the family so that we can bring Christ back into or bring Christ to the lives of so many that just have either lost him or have never had him? Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, to forgive one another. I think um, siblings, uh, whether there's one or, or 12, you have to have forgiveness in your life. If you've never forgiven anybody, you won't understand how God can forgive you. And that's so huge. And I know like everybody, no one's exempt in this world from uh, dysfunctionalism, and everybody's got something. And I can remember, you know, finding about my family when I was about eight years old, and I said, man, uh, Uncle so-and-so, I mean, he was running from the cops, and he took his pistols, and he hit him in the cellar in Grandma's pickle jar. I go, what? Man, I got a crazy family. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, holy smokes, he's running from the cops, he's got guns, I mean, uh, did he shoot anybody? <laughs> you know, as a little kid, you're thinking, you know, all you seen was uh, the Lone Ranger and Roy and Dale Evans. You know, you're looking at the Cowboys and Indian stories, and you go, what the heck is going on in my family? But um, I praise God for my family. I thank God for all the prayers. My parents were prayer warriors. My dad, uh, I can't get my hands around this. He purposed his life around prayer. He got up every morning for 40-plus years I know of and uh, prayed before he went to work. And I know that because I was a caregiver for seven years from 2006 to 2013, uh, the last years of my parents before they changed their address to heaven. He purposed his life around prayer. I just don't under, I don't know how I can do that. I mean, I get up and I might wave to heaven and say, God, well, I, I got up. Here I am. What are we going to do today? I have a few devotionals I go through, but do I do it every day? Man, I mean, my dad did it every day. I knew when I took care of him, you know, I thought he was going to punch me. Because he said, you don't say your prayers? I said, yes, I, I do. And uh, <laughs> yes, sir. They lived uh, a blessed life. My dad was 89. My mom was 90. And um, they went off to be the glory. They, they knew their Lord and Savior. Great when oh, you do know. Man, I don't know how I was making it. And thank God for all the prayers. Because growing up until I was 27, uh, when I gave my heart to the Lord, now the only bad thing is I hope my golf ball and the ladies don't know how old I am. My golf ball still thinks I'm in I'm in college because I can still hit it with the college guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. With football, it's hard to talk to Christ when you're in the middle of a football game, unless you're maybe a punter, kick returner, or a kicker. 
right? Because they have a little bit more time right. to set up, get everything right, especially kickers. Man, if anybody out there has not seen the movie Facing the Giants, it's a great, great faith-based football movie. You guys have got to check that oh. movie out. Yeah, Amazing yeah. movie. But my question is, in golf, you're out there by yourself. I've got to imagine that the guys on the tour and the ladies, for that matter, that are believers, there is that discussion going on with Christ sometimes when you're out there on the golf course. Talk a little bit about that in any conversations. I'm not asking you to name names or any, of anybody, but maybe any conversations you've had with golfers about that and about their experiences on the course. There's chaplains uh, on the PGA Tour, and I've met them. They're great guys. You will not believe the testimonies. I mean, one of the chaplains was at a, at a tournament, and one of the uh, pros was just a tough guy. And he kept on saying to the chaplain, oh, you guys are just nothing but hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. So uh, this chaplain walks down the line and shaking hands and talking to uh, the different pros that he's got relationships. So, I mean, he's the godfather to some of these, the, these pros on their children. And he's married a couple of them and that kind of thing. And he's buried a couple of them. He gets to this guy and yeah, he says, you guys are nothing but hypocrites. I'll never come to your Bible study. And the chaplain looks at him and puts his arm around him. He says, we've got room for one more hypocrite. That guy just showed up that Friday and never missed a Bible study on the tour. Became a Christian. And in six months after he became a Christian, he found out he had cancer. And a few years later, he died. And it's a great story on the tour. The guys just love it. What happened to that person's life. But um, what the Lord showed me, he said, God, I got this long drive club, but you know, I'm not a marketer and, and things aren't happening. I'm not making the, uh, the kind of money I should be. And he says, be quiet. Just paint all your club's candy cane. I asked a professional painter to paint it because I'm not a painter. And he tried it and couldn't do it. So I painted it myself using my own skills. And what the chances are, I meet at a Bible study, a guy that, that uh, sells pinstriping for the last 40 years. So I used his pinstriping to make it all neat on the shaft. And so I got the candy cane story, which is a gospel story. And I got to share that golf outing that I did by driving a par four. And everybody there knew me, but they never seen my candy cane golf clubs. And they said, what's the candy cane all about? And I said, well, you haven't heard the candy cane story? So I got to share the gospel to <laughs> guys that are new Jews and Gentiles alike for six and a half hours. I mean, I 33 groups. Wow. So every 10 minutes, I was sharing the gospel. And here I am hitting the golf ball, and I got my uh, big ghetto blaster going and speakers going and singing dynamite. hey <laughs> How did that experience in itself change you? I've been writing a book. I got uh, some manuscript about it. The friend said, you need to write a story. I mean, your story is unbelievable, even the way you got in long drives. I said, okay. And what it is, is uh, God asked all of us, like he asked Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses had a rod, a shepherd's staff, and said, throw it on the ground. So we give it to God. And then he turned it to a serpent, and God told him to pick up the tail end of it. It became a shepherd's staff. Well, I have a golf club. I give it to God. Everybody's got something. That's the thing is that, and it all happened when I was taking care of my parents. It wasn't something I was doing. There's uh, people like yourself and other people uh, knew about me and played golf with me here and there and wanted me to join a church league. And I wasn't looking forward to that. We got in an argument about it and because I didn't want to waste my time. When it's God's involved, God, you ain't wasting your time. And so I said, well, I'll be a substitute. 
and they had 70 guys signed up. I forgot that they didn't have a sub list, so I became the first person to sign the sub list. And those guys told me hit it. I was hitting a pretty long little old driver, about 330, 350 pretty regularly. To cut the, the, the story short, those guys, that was in 2008, all the way into summer of 2009, all those people I was running into everywhere, and they were encouraging me to go with the long drives. So two months before long drives, the world championship, I um, got involved. Even how I got my club is just amazing. I call up the World Long Drive Association down in Roanoke, uh, Texas. They said, yeah, we can build your club, but it's going to be this amount of money. I go, wow, I've never bought anything. Sight unseen, I usually try it. I said, you got anybody closer to where I live in Michigan? And he said, yeah, we got somebody in Saginaw. So that's an hour and a half, three-hour round trip. That's not bad. So I call up the guy and ask him, he said, I can build your driver. I built for a couple other long drivers here in Michigan. I said, well, how much is it going to cost? He says, well, if they can afford it, you can afford it. I said, oh, I mean, that was a smart answer, but I, I took it. And so he says, yeah, I'll meet you up here in a week or so, and we'll meet at the driving range, diagonal driving range, golf center. So I go there, and it's a huge place. It looks like the Risk Carlton's of driving ranges. You just can't believe something's that big. It's like 400 yards <laughs> wide and 700 yards long. And an old farm, the clubhouse and everything is just beautiful. So I'm playing my, my club, and I look, and I go, what's going on down the other end, 300 yards away? A bunch of people are out there, and I walk through over there, and it's about 3.15. What's going on over here? And he says, we're having the last chance qualifier in Michigan for the World Long Drive Championship. Mm. I go, what? I mean, I drove, I'm starting to feel a God moment. I, go, yeah. what? I just went and picked up my club, and the guy that was supposed to give it to me wasn't able to show up, so he gave it to somebody else to give it to me. And he said, well, you're going to have to talk to him and uh, what the price is, but here's the club. So I go over there, and this, uh, I'm starting to feel like a God moment. I says, my dad hates a coward and a wimp. I says, well, I'll throw my money down on the table for it. It hits the six golf balls. I says, why are all the guys out there? He says, well, it rains six inches, so it splashes. And the guy's got to find where the golf ball was, and we flag it, and we uh, range finds it in. And I said, well, what's the longest of my age? The guy threw it 281. I said, when are you going to close the competition? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, yeah, it's probably before 4 o'clock, depending on how many people show up. So I wait around 10 minutes, nobody's showing up. I said, well, here's my money. I'll get six golf balls, and I'm not going to use my long drive thing club. I'm hitting it, but I don't have confidence. I'm going to hit that little club that I have that I've been using in the golf league. I've been hitting it 330, 350. We'll see what happens. Well, Jason, I looked down. I got like 275. Uh, that's it. I go, man, I got to look down. I got two golf balls left. Well, you better do it now or never. And uh, surely enough, I, I don't know if it was the fifth or it was probably the next ball because I still had one ball left, I think. I got a 290. So that was the start of it, of me getting in long drive. Wow. Can you imagine wow. that? How can I be? Oh, I can't imagine hitting the ball 100. So, I mean, I definitely can't imagine 290. In a year. Yeah, I'm not doing that anytime soon. <laughs> and how God prepared me for all that was just unbelievable. I mean, it, uh, my parents were saying, you can't make any money long drive. And then you got to, where are you going? You're going all the way out to Vegas and you're flying out there. Then you go to Mesquite. Well, I'm saying all this to encourage other people that God's got something in their hand. They just got to put down a, on a piece of paper, take an asset inventory. Because God's giving them something. It might be something in music. Whatever it is, God put them someplace in the right family, in the right country, in the right city to make God's name big. That's what this show is doing here. Jason, I just thank you. Kudos to you and your crew to make this happen for people to hear stories and, and to be encouraged in the Lord because we need encouragement in these days. These are the days of Elijah. We're letting the world know that God's alive. 
Thomas, I really appreciate that. Of course, this show wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him putting it in my heart and soul and all of our guests that have been willing to come on here and share their stories. Thanks a lot for joining us today here on the show. What are some verses that mean a lot to you? And since we're at the end of the show, if you don't mind praying us out, that'd be great. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever shall believe shall have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, especially 10, because we are created in Christ Jesus. And see, I'm not reading these. These things have impacted my life. So when we speak them, they are life-giving. We were created by God through Christ Jesus for good works that God the Father, before time was invented, I'm paraphrasing it, put together a plan for us, and we should walk in it. And especially John chapter 6, verse 63, and I'll paraphrase that so it makes sense more meaning, but God's words are not like they're found in the library. His words have his spirit in it, and his spirit is resurrecting ascension life to our life. That's why it's so important to read God's word, because his spirit is in it. And that's what, it's resurrecting power to our bones, to our life. It's life changing, it's transformation. And he gets all the glory because it's nothing that I did to get saved. It was just me wanting to follow Christ. Once you take that step, it says in, in Revelation 22:17, the spirit and the bride, spirit of God and the bride of Christ say, come. And all those that are here this uh, broadcast, and I will hear it, and everybody in our families, no one left behind. Be just like Peter, to Jesus Christ, when he's walking on the water, if that be you, Jesus, command me to come. And he stepped out of the boat. There was 11 other guys that didn't have the courage to step out of the boat, but he did. And we just pray that people that hear this podcast step out of the boat and walk to Jesus, take that first step. Their life is going to be like walking on water with Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Our Faith, Our Country podcast. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media at Faith Country Pod or by searching for Our Faith, Our Country podcast. Until next time, later times, everybody. Thanks for listening to Our Faith, Our Country. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 